when he enjoyed operating in an environment of competing factions. Now, he has transplanted that executive philosophy into his White House. When he decided to fire his FBI director, James B. Comey, the president did so in an especially humiliating way. Like a scene out of The Godfather, Trump first sent Keith Schiller, his former head of security, to deliver the message to Comey at FBI headquarters. His allies maintained that Trump simply wanted the job done well, so he dispatched Schiller, whom he trusts deeply, in a sign of respect for how seriously he took the moment. But Comey, who was visiting a Los Angeles field office, ultimately found out in embarrassing fashion, in public, from television, in full view of his staff. As Comey was delivering a speech to FBI field employees, he initially laughed as news flashed across the TV screens that he had been fired. How'd you guys do that, he asked, according to someone briefed on the moment. The FBI director assumed he was being pranked by his underlings and had to be told by his team that the headlines were no joke. He had been dismissed, effective, immediately. During a February prayer breakfast in Washington, Mark Burnett, the creator of The Apprentice, introduced Trump, who went on to make a few tone-deaf jokes about Arnold Schwarzenegger, who had replaced him as the show's host. The ratings went down the tubes, the president said. It's been a total disaster and Mark will never, ever bet against Trump again. And I want to just pray for Arnold, if we can, for those ratings, okay? Trump's friends and allies reject the notion that he diminishes those around him, saying the businessman turned president is simply trying to bring out the best in his employees. I think it's more New York swagger than he's trying to belittle them, said Christopher Ruddy, the chief executive of Newsmax, a conservative media company and a longtime friend of Trump's. I always say he makes people feel like a million bucks. The approach, however, frequently leaves Trump's top team open to some of his more cutting digs. At a private dinner shortly before he was inaugurated, Trump took aim at his incoming vice president and his incoming Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. Complimenting his vice presidential choice, Trump also reminded the crowd, and Pence, that he could have just as easily picked someone else. Oh, I had a couple of beauties I could have picked, he said. They were good, too, but maybe they wouldn't have worked out like Mike. Turning his attention to his Secretary of State pick at the same gathering, he hinted that Tillerson, a former chief executive of ExxonMobil, might be in for a steep learning curve in the Trump administration. Where's our Rex? Trump asked. Wow, what a job. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rex. I think it's tougher than he thought. He's led this charmed life. He goes into a country, takes the oil, goes into another country. It's tough dealing with these politicians, right? Trump also sometimes reminds even his senior advisors, in ways big and small, that he has the power to demote them at any time. During an Oval Office meeting about trouble spots abroad, a relatively junior foreign policy staff member prepared to take a seat on the periphery as the president's top aides, including chief strategist Stephen K. Bannon, surrounded him in chairs around the Resolute desk. But the president soon ordered up a change, said someone who witnessed the moment, telling Bannon to give up his seat for the junior staff member and relegating his top strategist to the couch. More recently, during a lunch with ambassadors from countries on the U.N. Security Council, Trump jokingly polled those in the room on whether they thought U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, seated directly to his right, was doing a good job. How do you all like Nikki? he asked as she looked on. Otherwise, she can easily be replaced. Close foreign allies are also targets of Trump's public and private dressing downs. During an early call with Australia, one of the nation's staunchest allies, the president got into a testy exchange with Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull blasting him over a refugee deal, bragging about the size of his electoral college win, and abruptly ending the call. When news from the conversation emerged, Trump's team readily confirmed details of the exchange. The president was livid about the leak, but had no problem being viewed as a bully, believing he was simply standing up for his nation's best interests. The pattern continued in his trip overseas last week, 
when he gushed about the autocratic Saudi royal family even while insulting European allies. At a stop in Brussels, the president chastised NATO members for not meeting their financial responsibilities, shoved aside a Balkan prime minister to get in front for a group photo, and needled his allies about the cost of a new building for the alliance. During his first in-person meeting with French President Emmanuel Macron, Trump's typically aggressive greeting became a duel of one-upmanship as the two men clenched their jaws and tightened their faces during an intense white-knuckled handshake. Macron, France's newly elected 39-year-old leader, later said he wanted to show Trump that he would not be pushed around or demeaned. I don't believe in diplomacy by public abuse, he said. Germans wonder why Trump keeps lashing out at them and not Russia or Saudi Arabia, by Rick Nowak. In the Washington Post World section, I'm Sam Scholl. When news emerged in 2013 that the U.S. government had monitored German chancellor.